He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. If you've been going to church for any length of time and you go on Easter, you know, hopefully you're sitting at home or standing at home, um, even laying down at home, I'm I'm not sure, and, and responding, he is risen indeed. The question is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Is your life different because he has risen? Not just the the fact of the resurrection, but do you believe in the one who is alive and who is risen? That he is Lord and God. This morning I want to take a few minutes and look at what is probably a familiar story for any of us. um, Following the resurrection about a guy who is struggling to believe. He's struggling to believe about Thomas. Uh, You know, we all know uh, Brian just read... Uh, how Jesus appeared to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. And so we're going to read the next passage from verse 24 to 31 in John 20 and see what happens with Thomas. So listen to God's word as I read from John 20, verses 24 to 31. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would wake us up, that you would open our eyes to the reality of the resurrection, the reality of the power and the glory of Jesus, the reality of the presence of Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would change us, every single person who is listening to this today, that we would be changed, that we would become more of a believer rather than less. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I know that I don't have to tell you that this last year has been hard. This last year has been brutally difficult for most of us, if not all of us, in all sorts of different ways. I know for, for us, we felt it in a, in a bunch of different ways, but one of the ways that we've, we've really felt it, that it's honestly has been one of the hardest years that I can ever remember, <laughs> is just simply doing virtual schooling with our little kids. As, as, I mean, funny as maybe that sounds to some of you, others of you will 
will maybe empathize with us more, but uh, doing virtual schooling with our kids who struggle, really struggle with it, has caused us to, I mean, struggle through each and every day with any kind of sense of hope. Um, it's, it's caused me at times, if you'd be, just be like, I, I don't, you know, just be overwhelmed by kind of this darkness and, and kind of not have any motivation to even do the things that I know that I need to do. It's been really hard and very trying. And, and I know that um, it, this, this year has been hard for all of us in all sorts of different reasons. For some of us, it's been, there's just been this, this crushing sense of isolation from other people, sometimes worse than others. For others of us, it's been, it's been experiencing real loss of people that we love and care about. For others of us, it's, it's been living with pain, sickness, in the midst of a time when we had, aren't able to have as much support. For a lot of us, it's been a sense of, of uncertainty about the future, uncertainty about our job. For those of us, some of us, we've lost job, or we, we feel financial pressures that we haven't at other times. For a lot of us, we've been dealing with you know, global or national issues that are causing real stress. As we've, as we've had to work through uh, racial injustice, as we've had to deal with news of, of mass shootings and, and all sorts of things like that, as we've had to deal with, with political upheaval and turmoil over this last year. It's been hard. It's been a hard year. It, it's, it's, and for, for, I'm guessing, I mean, for me, as I said, there have been moments where I've just felt overwhelmed by the needs of people around me and overwhelmed and, and discouraged and really had a hard time just, am I going to be able to make it? Are we going to be able to make it? Where is there any hope? It's been hard to, to hold on to it or to find it at times. I'm guessing that at least you, you've had some similar feelings as I've had at times this year or a lot this year. I'm guessing that the disciples felt something similar after Jesus was executed. Not something exactly the same, but something similar, you know, overwhelmed by darkness and discouragement. This, this man that they had left everything to follow had poured out their lives, giving them to him, surrendering to him, orienting their lives around him, and now he had been crucified and was gone. And it had to have felt dark. It had to have felt hopeless how can we go on? Where do we go from here? Do I even want to go anywhere from here? But then Jesus shows up on that first Easter evening to the disciples. He shows up to them and, and he shows them that he's alive. Well, he shows up to all of them except for Thomas. And he kindles in them a sense of gladness and joy that wasn't there before at least all of them, except for Thomas. And when they tell Thomas, he's still in that place of hopelessness, of deep discouragement. I'll never believe it, unless I can actually touch him. I'll never believe it. Of this cynicism. Thomas, 
Thomas is still in that place. It's, it's not possible. There is no hope. Well, if, if you have been struggling even a little with having, you know, struggling to find hope this past year or, or even the past week, then what I want to do as we look at this passage is I want to look at three numbers, three resurrection numbers that will hopefully move us towards hope, <laughs> towards belief. 831. 831. Eight days, three wounds, one promise. Eight days, three wounds, one promise. I think these numbers lead us towards a greater sense of hope as they, I think, led Thomas. So first of all, eight days. I think that it's really important for us to notice these eight days. After Jesus appears to the disciples, he waits. It says he waits eight days, eight days later in verse 26, to appear to Thomas. Um, because of the way that the Jews referred to days, this is most likely the next, sa- the next Sunday, um, seven days by our calendar. Um, but he shows up about a week later to Thomas, to show himself to Thomas. Why is this significant? Well, think about this. <laughs> when Jesus first appears to the disciples, he, he doesn't seem to be limited by any travel constraints, right? He just shows up there. The doors are locked. He comes in through the wall somehow. It doesn't seem that hard for him to, be, to, to, for him to appear to them. Why couldn't he have just appeared to Thomas on his own that night? You know, Thomas isn't there. Wouldn't it have been, you know, thoughtful of Jesus to show up to Thomas separately to let him know that he was alive? But he doesn't. I mean, at the very least, the next morning, he could have showed up to Thomas. It shouldn't have been that difficult for him. And yet he doesn't. He waits. He waits a week. A week he allows Thomas to continue day after day after day to feel, to not believe, to struggle, to hurt, to suffer. Why doesn't he resolve Thomas's heartache? Why doesn't he resolve Thomas's heartache sooner? You would think that Jesus wouldn't want Thomas to suffer to hurt. He, if he really loved Thomas, he would have wanted Thomas, he wanted to, wanted to relieve Thomas's pain sooner rather than later. Like the rest of the disciples, he shows up to them the very first day he's alive again. But he waits. Why? Why? And all we can really do is speculate why he waits. None of us really know. We don't know the answer, but what we do know is that because he waited, that, that, that he considered it important for Thomas to have to continue to struggle for those seven days. Wondering, doubting, hurting. There was an importance, there was a significance, there was meaning to Thomas's pain. Because Jesus allowed it to happen. He didn't have to, but he allowed it. And so I think it's, it's important for us to recognize that, that, that as we struggle in life, pain, uncertainty is going to be a reality as we struggle for hope. Darkness is going to be a rea- reality, but that doesn't mean that our darkness, that our struggle, that our pain is meaningless. It's not insignificant. It's significant, and it's important for us to recognize it. I mean, there's so much in the Bible about lament, about acknowledging our pain, about acknowledging that this world isn't the way it's supposed to be. 
And Jesus allowed Thomas to live in that space for a week. In the same sense, I think it's important for us to to lament, to acknowledge our pain, to acknowledge that this world isn't the way it's supposed to be. But it's also important to recognize that just because life is painful and it's uncertain and it's dark, it doesn't, that in itself doesn't prove that God isn't real and that God isn't alive. Think about it. Was Jesus any less alive or any less risen because Thomas hadn't been able to touch him yet? Because Thomas hadn't seen him yet? No, Jesus was just as alive when Thomas was living in darkness as he was for the guys that, that Jesus had turned the lights on for. And so suffering and sorrow is not conclusive evidence for any of us that God isn't real and that Jesus isn't present and that he's not good. So it's important for us to recognize that as we, as we consider the fact that Thomas had to live these seven, eight days waiting to meet Jesus. So that's the eight days. Secondly, three wounds. Three wounds. I, I love this about Jesus, the way that he interacts with Thomas, the way that he comes to Thomas. How he treats Thomas's disbelief. He, he doesn't show up and lecture him. He doesn't show up and berate him. Thomas, I showed up to all these other people. They've been telling you. The other disciples, the people who had gone to the tomb, the women who I appeared to first, they've, they've told you. All of these witnesses, why didn't you believe them? He doesn't berate him. He's patient with Thomas. He's humble. He's compassionate. He accommodates himself to Thomas's demands, right? That's the amazing thing. What, is, what does Jesus say to Thomas? He basically quotes Thomas, almost word for word. You know, when Thomas said, unless I see the hands and, uh, in his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into the side, Jesus says in verse 20, 27, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side, Thomas. (laughs) That is amazing. Jesus offers himself to Thomas as a middle school science lab experiment. Did you ever have to dissect a frog in middle school? I remember doing that. Where you just kind of manhandle the thing and, and open it up. and That's what Jesus does to Thomas. He says, Thomas, touch me. Take your hand and put it in my side. Manhandle me. (laughs) Feel me. Touch me, Thomas. How incredibly gracious Jesus is to him. To allow him to stick his hand in his side. It doesn't say that Thomas takes him up on it. But Jesus is willing. Because he's willing to accommodate himself to Thomas's weakness to give him tangible proof that he is alive and there is hope in the midst of his darkness. He directs Thomas's attention to his three wounds. He says, Thomas, touch, here it is. You might say, well, he hasn't appeared to me to let me touch him like this middle school lab project. No, but don't you get it? This is what he's done. In the incarnation, in coming into our world, flesh and blood, to walk with his disciples, to hug his disciples, to let his disciples lean against him. This is what Jesus has done in coming into history, 
Jesus is a historical person. Verifiable. He really did die on a cross. He was crucified. And there is reasonable, rational arguments to accept the fact that he has risen from the dead. I think those arguments are more rational than the ones that say he didn't. If you will really look into them with an open mind. Jesus came into the world, and, and it's a historical reality that he lived and died and rose from the dead. In a sense, accommodating us, giving us tangible, real, historical evidence that we have hope. That the darkness will not consume us. That the brokenness of this world isn't all there is. That we can be, even though we have rebelled against God, we can be brought near and forgiven and restored in relationship to God. We can walk with him and know him. That is what Christ has done. The, way, the reason that we can have hope in the midst of, of days that are really dark, the, the reason that we can have hope in, the, in the, the, the crushing reality of death, whether it's our own or someone we love, is, is not because we have some good stories and good you know, teaching and philosophy that God has given us, that Jesus has given us. It's because he, as a flesh and blood man, lived a real life and died a real death and truly rose from the dead. That is why we can know that, that everything he said is true, that all that he promised will come true. And that's where I want to finish here with the, the one promise that he gives. The one promise that he gives. He, he says in verse 29, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is amazing. Again, Jesus is he's talking to Thomas, but now in verse 29, he's not just talking to Thomas. He's talking to you and to me. Blessed are those who have not seen, that's us, and yet have believed. What is the promise that he's making to us? Well, if we believe, if we receive what he has done and put our trust in him, then we will experience blessing. Blessing. Wholeness. Hope. Joy. Peace. Security. Life. Because that's, maybe it looks like another promise at the end in verse 31, right? He says, the Son of God, but these are the written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He promised those who believe life. But that's all part of the same thing. To be, to, to, to be blessed is to have life. And what does it mean to have life? To have life is to say what Thomas said in verse 28. When Thomas is confronted with the reality of the living Jesus, what does he say? My Lord and my God. Thomas comes to understand that Jesus is alive and that he's, he's not just alive, that he is the Lord and God over all things. And not only is he Lord and God over all things, he is my Lord and my God. 
He belongs to me. I belong to him. We are in relationship, and that is where I get my security and my joy and my confidence and my hope. Jesus is mine. He's my Lord, my God. That's what it means to have life. Earlier in the book of John, Jesus defines life this way. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, God, and the one that you've sent, Jesus. This is life. This is eternal life. It's knowing Jesus. It's walking with Jesus. It's having relationship with Jesus. It's, it's being loved by Jesus. My Lord and my God. He is mine and he is enough. He is mine and he is enough. That is the hope that Jesus offers us this Easter. That is the promise that he offers us this this Easter, that if we will believe in him, if we will trust him, if we will accept who he is and receive who he is and, and surrender ourselves to who he is, then we will be blessed with his presence, with being able to know him better, with being able to live in light of his love for us, with being blessed with knowing that that he is working on my side for my good in all situations. That is what it means to be blessed. Do you believe? Do you believe in him? There's just one one more thing I want to mention in verse 27. When Jesus says, put your finger here and see my hands and put your out of your hand and place it in my side, he then says, do not disbelieve, but believe. If you want to more woodenly translate the words there, it actually says, do not become a disbeliever, but become a believer. Do not become a disbeliever, but become a believer. I think that implies something about all of life. (laughs) Becoming a Christian isn't just learning about Jesus and agreeing with these things about who Jesus is and then signing on some dotted line somewhere. And now I'm a Christian, now I can just go about life however I want. No. Really living life as a Christian is about knowing Jesus. It's about living in relationship to Jesus. And every moment of your life becomes a moment where he is going to ask you that question. Are you going to become more of a believer in the midst of this? Or are you going to become more of a disbeliever? What are you going to choose to do? Are you going to choose to trust me? Are you going to choose to believe that I'm enough for you right now? Or are you going to become more of a disbeliever? I'm not enough. When you're faced with the temptation to be swallowed up by your anxieties, when I am in my home and, I am, and, and there's screaming children in different corners of the house and I just want to curl up into a ball and hide in a closet, am I going to choose to believe that Jesus is real and that he's enough? Or am I going to choose to take the path of disbelief? No, this is what is real. This is all that is real, the darkness the things that are overwhelming me right now. As, as, we, as we take that trip to the hospital for the, for the who knows how many times and we're facing our own mortality or the mortality of someone we love, are you going to choose to become more of a believer and trust that Jesus is real and enough and alive or to become more of a disbeliever? As you're faced with the uncertainty of your future, 
and you're wondering, how am I going to make this happen? How am I going to provide for myself? Am I going to choose to become more of a believer or a disbeliever? Is God real? Is Jesus enough? Is what he promised? Am I going to count on that to sustain me? Jesus is urging you today. Whether you've been following him all your life, whether you maybe have just tuned in and have never really trusted in Jesus and given your life to him, Jesus is urging you now. He is here. Believe. Trust him. Count on the fact that he is enough and will be forever. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for Thomas. We thank you for the way that uh, you worked in Thomas's life um, in spite of the fact that he had to endure um, maybe pain in a different way that the other, than the other disciples had to as he had to wait and see you for a week. Father, we pray that you would help us in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our discouragement, Help us to see uh, that you are enough. Remind us that the resurrection isn't some fantasy or quaint story, but that it's something that that truly happened and, and gives weight to your promise that we will be blessed. We will have life. If only we will come to, to the point where we say, Jesus, my Lord and my God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In response to God's word, well, let's take a moment to confess our sin, because that's all part of belief. It's, it's recognizing that we need Jesus' sacrifice for us to experience forgiveness, to experience the love of God poured out upon us. We're going to pray the prayer of confession that's printed in your order of worship. It's also going to be up on the screen, and we'll have a silent time of confession. Um, so let's, let's pray together. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, When we were dead in our sins and trespasses, you raised us to new life in Christ. We praise you for so great a salvation, and we humble ourselves before you today. Forgive us for our attitudes that deny your grace. Forgive us for our words that violate peace. Forgive us for our habits that sabotage beauty. Forgive us for our passivity that accepts the unacceptable. Forgive us for our greed that fuels our idolatry. Forgive us for our pettiness that robs people we love. Forgive us for our unbelief that robs you of glory. Have mercy on us, Lord. In Jesus' strong and loving name, amen. Father, we now take a moment in the silence to confess our individual sins to you privately and rest in your grace toward us in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 22. The assurance of God's grace. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead.
For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive.